I just burnt the ears off someone there. Hello to all my listeners who listen to All Things Strength and Wellness. I have no uh, guests today. It's just me here in my uh, living room in Drumcondra here in Dublin. Um, <clears throat> what I've decided to do is just to do a few podcasts where it's just me speaking. Um, knowing me, I'll say I'll try and keep them short, but they'll probably end up being, you know, 45 minutes an hour. But I'll try and keep them to maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes on a specific topic. So uh, to start off with just these podcasts are just me and hopefully I'll do a few of these you know interspersed obviously with podcasts with guests um, what I'm going to start off with is just basically kind of my overall thought processes on life and then maybe we might get into just kind of my overall principles or philosophies on training so with regards to life where do we start um, what do I believe are important factors to optimizing our experience of life the gift of life that we have I truly do believe that uh, obviously nutrition is absolutely essential and not only our own nutrition but obviously the nutritional state of our mother and uh, there's a lot of great books out there at the moment a lot of good research uh, I look into things done, uh, written by Joseph Shilton Pierce, uh, Bruce Lipton, anything by Peter Gluckman he, um, he's, and Derek Hansen they've written books on, on fetal development and, and disease but basically what, what, what you'll understand from these people is that the uh, the preconception and the um, prenatal health of the of the mother is so so essential to the health of the child even when that child is an adult uh, specific genetic not so much genetic specific phenotype so with, with our with regards to genes we have our genotype and our phenotype our genotype is our basically our, D, our DNA code and the phenotype is basically the expressions that DNA DNA code can give, and it's the envir- it's environmental influences that can that can influence the the phenotype aspect of our DNA. And what we know is that with regards to the mother's overall health, um, so her nutritional status and her overall stress response to everything going on in her life, whether that be again nutritional or sleep or toxicity or mental emotional, particularly mental emotional. These can have huge influences on, uh, on on the overall health and well-being of the child and, and the actual fetal development of the child can have health and well-being consequences for that child as they as they reach adulthood later in their life. Um, so not only will there be some um, detrimental aspects to that child's development when it's a, a fetus or an embryo inside the mother, the these... Uh, particular insults can have profound effects on the child later on in its childhood its adolescence and into its adulthood so that would be one huge thing with me so we really really need to start looking after our pregnant women and our pregnant mothers out there according to peter gluckman actually in his book mismatch 50 percent of pregnancies are unplanned um you know i always say to people it's like the blind leading the blind here like the most important job you'll ever do in your life and there's no education or little to no no education out there. The most important job any of us can ever do in, in, in this in, in our life is to help um, raise a child. Now, I also preface that because I'm a fan of Osho. And Osho was once asked, you know, how do I help a child reach its potential? And Osho would say, your question is all wrong. It has no meaning. You never, ever help a child. All your child needs is your love. What he means by that is that when we do have children, we should not absolutely should not put our own judgments and beliefs systems onto that child that child is a clean piece of hardware a child is a sponge and if you tell that child you're a christian you're a muslim you're a jew you're this you're that the world is this way the world is that way well guess what that child's subconscious mind is starting to download all this information and then this this child believes that what you told them is the way the world really is you know, so you're putting your expectations, your opinions, your beliefs onto your child. And Osho would say, if you do that, you are not a compassionate person. You're actually a cruel person. So Osho would say, all your child needs is your love. That's it. Your child does not need your prejudice, your judgments, your beliefs, your opinions. Let the child decide all that stuff for itself when it gets older. So that's another very important aspect. So without question, the, the, the health and wellness of both mother and father, both mentally, physically and emotionally, are so crucial to the health of our of our of our children and of the generations to come, um, and this can go back like if 
you know, if you have an unhealthy mother, she probably she probably had an unhealthy mother or unhealthy parents, and then they had unhealthy parents, and so on and so on and so on. And it's not just the mother. Obviously, a lot comes down to the father, but it's just that the mother is the one who who has to have the child inside of her for those nine months, for those nine crucial months. But again, it it even happens before conception. Okay, so for any women out there listening to this, you need to be healthy before you even conceive or think about conceiving a child. Okay, you gotta get your body you know again physically mentally emotionally nutritionally every which way as optimal as possible because you want your child to have you know the the the, you know the most optimal uh, development as possible so definitely fetal development the 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 pre-health status of, of the mother and father huge huge things without question so we go on from that point next thing obviously is in the nutrition throughout our lives nutrition is absolutely essential uh when we talk about um our genetic expression we talk about epigenetics which is some people say a new science it's not that it's a new science it's just that it's a newer outlook on or understanding organisms because for a long time people used to believe in kind of genetic determinism which was we were all born with a certain strand of genes and no matter what we did we would we could never change our genetic expression if we had a certain gene for cancer or heart disease or obesity or diabetes or whatever you were just born with that gene and no matter what you did eventually the expression of that gene would come true and that's not necessarily the case in fact 90% of all chronic degenerated diseases or diseases are completely environmental only about five to ten percent and that's been pretty pretty kind there at that are, are have some sort of genetic predisposition to them so for the vast majority of uh, disease and illness we have we are completely in control of it so that 90 percent is very very much influenced by the environment and the biggest environmental influences on our health and well-being are our nutrition um, our circadian cycles environmental toxins mental emotional and spiritual well-being exercise habits whether it's too much or too little um, and they would be the biggest environmental influences on our systems now within environmental toxins i would put under that category electromagnetic fields for those out there who feel very strongly about those so nutrition is something we do depending on the person anywhere from maybe one to six seven eight times a day it depends on the individual and, and the nutritional protocol they follow and the habits that they develop now that's a very important point too, the habits we develop. Where do we develop those habits? Generally from our parents and if our parents have shitty nutritional habits that they develop from their parents or the environment they grew up in, it's just, again, the blind leading the blind. So it's very crucial we educate ourselves on this. Anyone that's heard me speak knows I always open up my talk about nutrition like this. There is no one nutritional diet, protocol, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. I prefer calling it a nutritional lifestyle because just personally myself the word diet seems to have this kind of negative condemnation so there's just no one nutritional lifestyle that will ever suit every single human being on this planet it's just completely illogical okay because the, the, the there's just so many different environmental factors that determine what a specific individual's nutritional needs are going to be and i think the greatest work that proves this is weston price's book nutritional and physical degeneration um you know if we were to look at traditional eskimos okay traditional eskimos you know they lived on 80 percent saturated fat 19 percent protein and one percent carbohydrates when they got some berries in the summertime when the berries were around i need to stand up here so it might st- sound a bit weird i need to stretch out my hip flexors i'm sitting on a chair and now i'm half kneeling i'm doing a half kneeling chop great cook will be proud um <clears throat> so the traditional eskimos i said had a very high saturated fat diet protein and very very small amount of carbohydrates and the reason for that was because they lived up in the arctic carbohydrates don't grow in that environment and because that was their environment it was either they adapted to that or they died out and they adapted to it and eventually started to thrive in that nutritional lifestyle conversely to that though if you took someone from the polynesian or pacific islands you know the, the polynesians and malaysians like they had more of a plant-based diet you know it was like about 60 70 plant-based and tropical fruits and the rest of their diet was made up with like you know fish and wild boar so you can see they had very very uh, between just the example I gave there the S traditional Eskimos and some people from those Pacific islands again the Polynesians and Malaysians they had very very varied nutritional lifestyles but the key thing that Price will say is that one all of their food came from Mother Nature none of it was processed none of it was adulterated by, by Western man um, <clears throat> so that was the key underlying theme of everything all their food came from Mother Nature so I always say to people listen if, if you're eating food 
if we went back in a time machine about 25 you know 30 40,000 years ago anything beyond 10,000 years ago when agriculture started if you couldn't have eaten the food then don't eat it now okay now there's some exceptions to that I'm not I'm not I'm not a complete you know no dairy guy either um I wouldn't say I'm a paleo guy either I'm definitely of the school of thought of Sean Croxon you know jerf just eat real food for the most part of course there's going to be you know specific fine tuning we're going to need for some people some people just can't tolerate dairy you know so they can't have dairy some people are actually okay every now and again to have grains every now and again i'm not a huge fan of grains at all just because maybe because i'm irish and really irish people are just brutal when it comes to gluten really really bad particularly you know people from ireland wales scotland england all them kind of northern scandinavian or North, sorry, not Scandinavian, Northern European. Some, so somebody does geography, like did he just call them Scandinavian countries? Sorry, I meant to say Northern European kind of countries. Um, they just seem to just really have you know a kind of very very um, what would you say? They just do not seem to do really well with any sort of grains or gluten containing products. But it, there could be some people that you know could could get away with eating more of it every now and again. I still wouldn't advise it for for most people. But again, anyway, the, the main thing I want to talk, say here is that all our food comes could, should come from Mother Nature. But what really what, what really differentiates the, the food is the macronutrient ratios of you know fats to, to, to carbohydrates, to proteins, and also the sources, depending on what part of the world you're from. But the key thing to just, to just keep in mind here is that there is no one nutritional lifestyle uh, that will suit every single human being, okay? Now, we can make generalizations in that Right, every you know what 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 makes up a healthy diet with regards to foods you eat. Right, so you know healthy, free range organic meats, fish, well wild fish. So our organic meats, wild fish, free range poultry, um, that would include eggs as well as the actual chicken and turkeys themselves. Oh, you know obviously uh, our vegetables, our fruits, our nuts, our seeds. Uh, if you're gonna have dairy, make sure it's organic and it has no hormones in it. You know our full fat butter, our coconut oils, things like that. And again, what will really differentiate people is the kind of macronutrient ratios of their meals. Some people do really well on a higher carbohydrate, moderate protein, low fat approach. Some people do really well on like a zone diet, you know, like a 40% protein, 30% carbs, fruits and fat. And some people do really well on high fat diets, anywhere from like 50 to 70%, almost ketogenic, you know, and then a moderate protein and very low carb. And not only, not only can people thrive on just one of those they can thrive on all of them maybe so people who carb cycle you know there's so many factors that go into it and even with the foods i named there say like nuts and seeds some people can't deal with those with dairy some people can't deal with that so there's all those little fine tuning bits that we also need to to, to take into consideration so it, you know nutrition is is as simple and complex as you want to make it but the one underlying theme is listen all your food should come from mother nature it should be whole food it should be real food so just eat real food and then you're just going to have to fine tune or find out what your body uh, you know ideally tries on but again the, and the other key thing is not only are we different nutritionally from one individual to another so not only am i different or not only are my nutritional needs different from your nutritional needs from, from anyone listening to this but the nutritional needs of my body from today is going to be very different to the nutritional needs of my body from uh, for, for next week for next month from season to season so for instance if i'm in a very very heavy training block I'm breaking down a lot of muscle tissue. My body, my body's nutritional requirements are going to be very different from when I'm not in a heavy training block and I might be traveling the world, doing a lot of sitting on planes or flying over to seminars or I'm, I'm doing more um, <clears throat> mental work like studying. So the nutritional requirements are going to be very different for my body in those two different environments. So the key thing is the environment will dictate what our body is going to need from a nutritional standpoint. And by environment, I mean like our exercise regime, the mental stress we're under at that time, um, like the actual environment with regards to the temperature itself obviously our nutritional needs on a roasting hot day are going to be very different from our nutritional needs on a very very cold day so even just things like that so nutritional uh, nutrition is is uh it's, you know there's a lot of things to consider but again i think if you just stick to a very very much a just eat real food primal uh type uh template for the most part i i don't think you're going to go wrong now with regards to like meals and meal frequencies and all that again that's going to depend on most people i know phil learning for the most part if anyone listens to him he's a fan of eat, eating many meals throughout the day i am more of a fan of getting people towards three square meals a day now again it depends on the goal if you're trying to put on muscle mass you're going to have to eat more meals or you're going to have to get more calories in i have no problem with eating you know six or even eight meals a day if your goal is to put on 
some um, muscle mass. Uh, if your goal is to do some fat loss and you're healthy, could you do some intermittent fasting? Yeah, you, you probably could. Uh, you know, you can do the 16-8. You could, you could try Brad Pilon's 24 cycle. I don't recommend that for, for, the, for the vast majority of people because most people have hypoglycemic tendencies and insulin resistance and all that. So I would rather get that under control first. And this is not to say, that, and there's no magic bullet here either. Some people will thrive on two meals a day. Some people will thrive on three. Some people will thrive on six. And not only that, but some people like myself, I did intermittent fasting for 18 months. I just ate two meals a day for the most part. And now I'm back to three meals a day, uh, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I feel great on that now as well. So it's kind of a great mentor. I wouldn't say mentor because I've never met him, but a great person who I look up to is Dan Path. And Dan would talk about you know chronic overload and acute relieving syndrome. And basically, your body adapts to everything after a while. So while I was eating two meals for a while, like my body was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of used to like eating like you know at 12 and you know 12 and 6 every day now or, or 11 and 6 every day and then when I kind of went to 3 meals a day the body's like oh shit he's eating breakfast again now this is something new you know something something different so nutrition is, is in a sense is no different to training with regards to its stimulus you know if you're eating the same meals and the same foods over and over and over and over again you're gonna stagnate and particularly when it comes to eating the same foods over and over again not just the meal timing or how many meals you're having a day but particularly when you're eating the same foods over and over again that's when you can start overproducing specific enzymes to those food. And as Phil would say, you know, you're upregulating too many of those things, and what you really need to do is downregulate some of that. So that's why it's very good to have variety in our in our in our food. And you know, thousands of years ago, we had variety built in because we ate seasonally. We're the only animals now that can control our environment, so we don't really get that variation anymore. You know, we can fly bananas into Ireland in the middle of November, which is a complete mismatch to, you know, evolution. Um, so like a lot of us have very very little variation in our diets you know we really should be getting a lot more variety into our into our diets but just going back to, to, to how many meals a day again it depends on your goal if it's fat loss I eventually would like to get people if, fat, if it's fat loss and health I eventually like eventually excuse me eventually like to get people to three square meals a day very much the top process of Byron Richards or even Jack Cruz so two to three meals a day for, for fat loss uh, and uh and uh, health maybe not so much fat loss initially because a lot of people who need to lose weight a lot of people who need to lose weight anyway don't need to worry about losing weight they just need to worry about getting healthy you know if they get healthy they'll lose the fat but i do like i do like to get people just you know two to three square meals a day generally three again i check out the book master and leptin for, for the reasons that the, you know the reason for that is it, one thing is snacking to, like a lot of snacking jack cruz and, and byron rich would say you know it's putting the liver under a lot of burden like your liver's constantly having to metabolize and work and then also with your digestive system so if you're eating six times a day things like that so that's why it's good to cycle things always cycle things everything is yin and yang so if you're going through like a period of hypertrophy where you're eating like eight six to eight meals a day you know it's probably good to maybe go through a you know a one to two or three week block of just eating three square meals a day and maintaining your weight and then if you want to try and go back to another hypertrophy block do that you know it's good to add in some cyclical patterns you know to you know to have your body keep adjusting and keep adapting and not stagnating as i said earlier on there nutrition is no different to training with that regards um everything in your body is stress and adapt everything eating is stress training is stress sleep is stress doing this podcast is a stress you know and it's all about giving novelty to our body in small doses stressors that our body you know or your body needs stress it's just chronic stress that it doesn't need or doesn't want but going back to the meal plan there's no magic bullet there's no there's no right there's no right way but generally for general health i like to get people to you know two definitely three meals a day that's not to say I'll, i will start everyone on that you know so for instance i have a lady right now and she's hypoglycemic and she's overweight so my my uh, my um, advice to her is you need to eat multiple times a day to control your blood sugar but once we get that blood sugar under control and you're you start to lose a bit of body fat your sleep gets dialed in your insulin sensitivity uh, starts to get starts to get better um, maybe then you can start going back down to you know four times a day eating and then eventually three square meals a day and then when her body fat goes down and once again her insulin leptin is starting to regulate maybe then she can start adding in some carb you know more carbohydrates because she might be able to handle it better so certain things like that again there's no right and there's no wrong um, but if you're trying to gain muscle we'll probably eat more meals if we, and again for health I said you know three meals anyway i keep repeating myself over and over so i have to it's a very bad habit i have i have to stop doing that um so nutrition is essential next thing then is sleep so circadian cycles like anyone who knows me i've been harping on about this for the last 18 months two years mainly because i have a bias and the bias is that it changed my health rapidly just unbelievable 
like I was drained at the end of 2011 like so bad like, I was reacting to foods obviously I had leaky gut and and what what was really behind it all was I just kept staring at a computer screen every single night I thought my computer was shutting off there it went black every single night for just you know weeks on end in the middle of winter a complete biological environmental circadian rhythm mismatch just a complete mismatch you're, you're not meant to be looking at blue artificial white lights when it's dark outside particularly in the middle of winter it's just so wrong for your biology and if you do it chronically like every single night like i was doing back then you're just gonna you're gonna fuck up your melatonin you're just gonna you're just gonna basically fuck up your health um sorry for swearing there for, for people who who've any issues with swearing there i was going so good damn it um anyway it's only words language is very superficial don't take it too serious so but sleep is so so important um for multiple factors your circadian cycle controls your blood sugar your neurotransmitters your immune system um so it's very very important i'm going to try and stop saying m there um replace that with another word so with regards to sleep in the summertime if you live in ireland and you're listening to this in the summertime you know that the light stays pretty long so you know you could go to bed at like half 11 12 because it doesn't get dark in ireland until about half 10 11 in the in the peak of summer that's fine in the summertime you're meant to sleep less actually and eat more carbohydrates because when the light when the light is long it generally means there's more carbohydrates available in nature and in ireland that would be true things like you know apples pears berries tuberous vegetables but in the winter time when it's dark we're meant to be hibernating we're not meant to be in heated homes and we're not meant to be in lights where the artific- where the lights are turned on we're not meant to, sorry we're not to be we're not meant to be in homes that are heated and that also have lights on in the winter that's just a complete mismatch to our biology um, and and that is a, a huge contributing factor to the chronic degenerative diseases we're seeing today these circadian mismatches so what we need to do in the winter is when it gets dark make your surroundings dark buy amber or red light bulbs put candles on or at the very least put lamps on in the corner do not have any overhead lights on and the reason for all this is when you turn on a light you immediately shut off your melatonin production melatonin is produced when it gets dark or in a dark environment and melatonin is so crucial to your immune system at night time when you're asleep melatonin is elevated and cortisol the stress hormone that helps you get out of bed in the morning and do daily activities is low in the morning cortisol is meant to rise and peak to its highest and then melatonin is low so it has that relationship so in the morning cortisol is high melatonin is low at night time melatonin should be high cortisol should be low but most people's cycle or rhythm is the opposite way around because people are around bright lights and they're eating carbs and junk food at night time and they're staring at the television or their iphones or whatever and then when they go to get out of bed in the morning they have to hit snooze near alarm clock several times for they get out and then to get going in the day they have to down a lot of caffeine or eat a lot of sugar like a cereal or some crap like that uh, just you know to get them going to to to, to get some sort of uh, energy to get going and invariably they crash then later on during the day they have to eat another snack and then they crash in the afternoon and their energy is just basically all over the place their blood sugar regulation is just all over the place if you need an alarm clock to get up in the morning your your circadian rhythm is already out of whack you should not need an alarm clock to get up in the morning you should naturally just wake up at at a at roughly the same time every morning if you have a ritual to your sleep. So it's very, very important to get your circadian cycle online. So what time should we go to bed at? In the summertime, it, it, it depends on where you are in the world. T.S. Wiley would say, you know, about two to four hours after sundown, depending on what time t- t- uh, time of the season it's in and whereabouts in the world you are. So again, for the Irish listeners, you know, in the summer we can stay up till I said, 11 o'clock, even 12, because the daylight, it stays bright here till, till, as I said, in the peak of summer, half 10, 11. But in the winter time, I'd be telling you, you need to get out of those bright lights no later then about half eight nine o'clock you need to be asleep by half nine for optimal health in the winter time so that will be from like october all the way nearly to march and for some people that's just a shock because they're just in the habit of staying up late and looking at screens and all that and for most people for the young people listening to this you can get away with it because you've got hormones left but when you start hitting your 20s late 20s 30s 40s that's when the shit's gonna start hitting the fan now am i saying you're gonna have to do this every single night for the rest of your life no i'm not and it's the same with nutrition. I'm not saying you have to eat. Uh, well, first of all, it shouldn't be a struggle to live this way or eat this way. Like if you hate it, like that's <laughs> it's it's not like 
anyone who, who's really really healthy or happy and people look at them and think oh they must hate like how do they eat that stuff or how do they live their lives the way they're they love living their life that way like obviously they they wouldn't do it if they didn't so they don't find it a struggle because they're in a habit of doing it the key thing is a habit it's all you're, we all have habits and it's about changing certain habits we want to make sure that we have life affirming habits and not disease creating habits and circadian mismatches is a disease creating habit it's not a life affirming or health affirming habit so uh, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought there now circadian rhythms yeah sorry so when, when I talk about nutrition and sleep and I'm giving these certain recommendations I'm not saying you have to do this every single day for the rest of your life what I am doing is two things one I'm empowering you with information so that if you go through a certain period of your life where your nutrition and your, your sleep are not dialed in and you're not feeling great or your health is suffering you know what to do you're like right I know what to do I'm just going to get my nutrition dialed in my hydration dialed in and also my sleep and then you're going to feel a hell of a lot better <laughs> simple as that uh, the other thing too is I always talk about a spectrum so at one end of the spectrum we have optimal health at the other end of the spectrum we have death all I'm ever trying to do with any information that I share is to is, is trying to get you or give you bits of information that you can use to get you as close to the optimal health spectrum as possible so basically if we aim for perfection which we'll never get we'll get excellence so that's all you're trying to do so like if someone turns around to me and says oh you know i uh i sleep perfectly five nights out of the week and i go out the weekend so it's not great for two nights i'd be like well that's that's brilliant like that's much better than sleeping crap every night of the week I even said this on a podcast interview with Pat Tivoli. If someone turned around and says, I eat great only once a week and sleep great only once, like I go to bed on time once a week, well, that's better than not doing it at all. It's not, it's obviously still terrible, but it's better than not doing it at all. Like, there, there, there's still a worse, there's still a, a worse scenario to that. But nutrition and circadian cycles are critical. And the key thing from a parental standpoint for parents is to, is to put these habits help ingrain good habits into your children now this this may sound like a contradiction because i said about osha not not putting any judgments or you know your opinions or your beliefs on a child this is different you're 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 teaching your child you're helping your child learn some life affirming health affirming habits which are good nutrition and good uh sleep habits so the the problem is with a lot of parents is they put their kids to bed and the parents stay up watching tv or doing something what should happen is the whole family should go to bed and then your child will go asleep and then you won't have any issues with your child when they get older with regards to sleep or anything like that now in saying that teenagers seem to have a slightly different circadian cycle for their for their puberty period than than adults there does seem to be some research out there that's that uh the hormonal release of of teenagers actually happens a bit later in the night so therefore they stay up a bit later and they sleep in a bit later so that's slightly different but just with regards to ingraining good habits into our children, with regards to nutrition and with regards to sleep, we got to do that from day one. So they're just key things to keep in mind that it's habits. You're trying to you're trying to inform you know ingrain good habits, life affirming health habits. The next thing I would look at then will be those environmental toxins. So just to finish off with sleep, circadian cycles so so important, so so important. So again, the summertime. You can stay up later. Winter time, though, you gotta get to bed early. When it's dark, make your surroundings dark, okay? Because it's all to do with with you know just re- you know uh, regulating your hormones, particularly melatonin and cortisol. So in the winter time, when it, when the environment gets dark outside, make your environment dark, okay? If you're gonna be on any uh, laptops or iPhones or televisions, buy a pair of blue light blocking glasses. They will help to a certain degree. But the key thing is when it's dark. Make your surroundings dark and get to bed earlier. Um, so I would be getting, you know, as I said, you know, if it's getting dark at like 5 p.m., 6 p.m., you know, you can stay up, like, just make your surroundings darker. Use, as I said, candle, red lights, amber lights. Um, and then when you're getting, you know, I would encourage you to try and get into your bedroom for half eight, nine o'clock, uh, read a book for an hour, hour and a half, and then fall asleep then for, you know, nine, or sorry, fall asleep for about half nine um, or just before 10 o'clock. And you'll start waking up naturally then earlier in the morning, half half five, six, half six, whatever it is. You know, some people need more sleep, some people need less. But your hormones are going to be perfect. Your blood sugar will be regulated. You're going to have so much energy. You won't need to nap during the day, any of that shit. And you're going to be generally be a nicer person to be around because you're making energy. <laughs> you're not having any energy dips and then, you know, taking out your low energy on someone. 
Anyway, so on to uh, environmental toxins. These have really escalated since World War Two. You know, according to a lot of a lot of things I read, because of just all the chemicals and shit that went into building fucking weapons and whatnot or whatnot. But apparently, a lot of a lot of uh, <clears throat> like fluoride, for instance, in the in the atomic bomb in the Manhattan Project. But a lot of uh, chemicals have really come about since World War Two. And uh, these are definitely being linked to a lot of the chronic generated diseases that, that are being prevented today, and a lot of cancers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, a lot of very common ones today are the mercury fillings in people's teeth. Now, I don't think it's get. I think it's getting a little bit better than it used to be. Mercury is a big one. The filling in, in people's teeth. The mercury is a pretty toxic substance. Um, and if you have any mercury fillings in your teeth, I would recommend getting those out. Uh, if you want some resources on that, you might read the books. It's all in your head. Um, informed consent um, so basically anything by Hal Huggins and a guy called David Kennedy they'd be good resources with regards to mercury in your teeth other things you can look at then would be uh, fluoride in the water of course there's a girl called Ashley Fitzgibbon who I interviewed in the podcast before and she has a campaign against the Irish government about fluoride in the water fluoride in the water you know it's a uh, you know, some people say the levels in it aren't aren't enough to cause any damage. And, and if I, you know, if you were to drink just one glass of fluoride water, and that was it, yeah, you'd be. I, I would agree. I'm like, well, it's not going to do anything to you, really. So it's not. You know, your your body's a little more robust than that. But the fact is, if you're drinking that water every single day, and not only are you drinking the water, but if you're eating foods or eating products made from that fluoridated water, you're getting a shit ton of fluoride. Uh, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? exposure a shit ton of fluoride exposure and accumulation in your body day after day after day and fluoride as a substance is a known neurotoxin that's not debatable what's debatable is the levels of it in the water now we don't need it in the water so why do we have it uh, apparently there's only two percent of the countries in the european union have it and we're one of them uh, it's banned in some other countries as far as you know my mother told me it's banned in holland and, and it got banned in israel there a while ago i saw ashley put that up on her facebook page I know Israel's not in the European Union, but I'm just giving an example. But if you read the book, The the Fluoride Deception by Christopher Bryson, that's a very, very good book. And it basically explains that whole fluoride thing that what happened was that they were, the Manhattan Project was, you know, the atomic bomb that they put on Hiroshima. And essentially, uh, they pumped a shitload of fluoride into that. And what was happening is the people, the, the, the lay people working on the project, they were just fucking in bits. Like, they just, they were, they were, they were getting them... Um, Oh, what's that 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 thing called with the you know your lungs? It'll come to me anyway. But they were getting severe issues with their lungs and their breathing. A lot, a lot of serious health issues, and they you know they started suing the companies that they were working for that were helping build you know specific parts for the Manhattan Project and specific war weapons for World War Two in America. So basically, the government were like, right, you know, these lawsuits are gonna kill us, like, because you know these people will win these cases. So what they had to do is they had to show that fluoride was somehow healthy or beneficial. And there is some research to show that fluoride topically, now topically, not ingested, but topically on your teeth, may help with teeth health. But you don't need to ingest it. You don't need to actually die. Topically means you're just putting it on the surface of your teeth. Actually, if you ingest, over-ingest fluoride, your teeth actually get worse. You get the thing called fluorosis, where your teeth, like, you get this gammy look to them. It's not good at all. Gammy, how about that for a scientific word? Gammy teeth. Um... <clears throat> But so essentially what they did was, you know, they, they long story short, they, they eventually put it into the water supply saying, oh, it'd be great for your teeth. And everyone's like, oh, fluoride's great. So fluoride can't be bad. And then they were like, you know, these people who were suing these specific uh, organizations that were involved in building these certain weapons for World War II, and particularly the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb, you know, they lost a lot of their cases because they were like, well, fluoride isn't bad. It's in the water supply and blah, blah, blah. So... You know, there's more about that in Christopher Bison's book, but that's essentially how fluoride came into water in America. And then the same person, Harold Hodge, who was behind all this, you know, he was the person that really pushed fluoride in the water. He came over to Ireland and and, and really pushed it into the to, to water supplies over here in Ireland in the early sixties. Um, so that's pretty much how fluoride came into water. But again, we're one of the few countries that have it, so I would avoid drinking tap water. If you can get a reverse osmosis system or even just drink bottled water. Now, the thing with bottled water then is a next, a, a, the next environmental toxin we'll talk about, which is plastics. And you have that bisphenol A, or BPA as it's called. Um, and to be honest, listen, it, when it comes to plastic bottles, plastic, it, plastic water in plastic bottles is... is, is it isn't great, but it's only really, really bad if that water becomes in direct contact with something hot, like the sunshine. 
because then that that water starts to bleach in or that plastic starts to bleach into the water and you're getting you're getting hormone disruptions that are very estrogenic and um, so we you know and we definitely don't want an overproduction of estrogen in, in anyone's body both men or women but if you have to choose between drinking tap water or or you know Tipperary water Evian water Volvic water out of a, you know good quality water plastic bottle I would go with the good quality water of a plastic bottle over the fluoridated water um <clears throat> You know, some other environmental toxins will be an electromagnetic fields. Now, these are becoming huge ones. The book I would recommend on that would be The Body Electric by, by Robert Obecker. Obecker was a medical doctor, researcher, genius of a man. Um, again, his book, now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it was a bit over my head too. Uh, but essentially, he, he, you know, he proved that, you know, that we are electrical species. That in rats that are mammals, just like ourselves... He, he could reproduce limb regeneration using certain particular electromagnetic frequencies, you know, the positive and negative charges. And, you know, I won't embarrass myself by, by showing how little I actually knew about the science, but it's an excellent book. But he, in the 70s, um, now this book came out in the 80s, but he, back in the 70s, he was under the impression that these electromagnetic fields that were being used at the time around the Cold War, he believed that these could be, have very detrimental effects to the human, the human species. Um, and you know there's a lot of other stuff out there it's to do with like the electromagnetic field of the earth the earth has a certain electromagnetic field we have a certain electromagnetic field about us and he believes that the frequencies can be thrown off and that these these could lead to potential you know uh, diseases and health now another resource I would check out would be Jack Cruz he has a a far better understanding of all this than, than, than I do <clears throat> but there definitely is something to electromagnetic fields if you think about it too you know, you've often you, you just for the, the people who don't know too much about this you probably have heard about people protesting against like masks you know where, where companies wanted to put up like these you know big massive towers to transmit more electromagnetic fields and you know the, the, the local community always protested because of the radiation the potential radiation and electromagnetic radiation that could come off them um, and this is why like because they can be very detrimental to human health but I would check out Becker's book there was really some amazing things in there like uh, you know the regeneration of um people with really really bad gang gangrene in their legs and, and like just bones that would not regenerate and he was able to do it with manipulating electromag electromagnetic fields it was amazing stuff you know the si silver ions uh, you'd put this silver ion sheet over a very very damaged wound on a leg and then put in a specific type of electromagnetic charge whether it's positive or negative it had to be just right and it would just regenerate that whole like missing chunk of a leg it was amazing stuff um, you know, and, and he proved that like red cells redifferentiated into cells with a nucleus. So to like any classical biologist, this is hearsay, but he he proved it like um, with his with his research. So it's an amazing book. But electromagnetic fields would be something else to consider with regards to, to environmental toxins. Other things then will be things like cosmetics, and actually this comes to gluten as well. You know, gluten is not just in our food supply; it's also in cosmetics because gluten binds a lot of things together. It's in a lot of shampoos and shit. So you could get someone who is gluten sensitive and just before we go into this gluten sensitivity and, and being a celiac are not the same thing they're not the same thing okay best resource on that is Dr. Tom O'Brien who I believe is coming to Ireland thanks to Danny Lennon for telling me that I think he's coming over March 1st is it of 2014 um, but gluten uh, gluten sensitivity and celiac are not, not the same thing C celiac disease is one uh, one part of being gluten sensitive you could be gluten sensitive and not be a celiac okay you could be gluten sensitive and have rheumatoid arthritis because of your gluten sensitivity. You could be gluten sensitive and have um, a liver issue, high liver enzymes leading to sclerosis of the liver because you're gluten sensitive. You could have very, very bad migraines because you're gluten sensitive. Um, so if it attacks your if it attacks your intestines, it's your your celiac. If it, as I said, if it attacks your joints, you've got arthritis. If it attacks your head and you have headaches you know you, you suffer from migraines so gluten sensitivity and celiac are not the same thing celiac is like one branch of gluten sensitivity but it's in a lot of cosmetic products too so you know you really want to start looking for more whole organic products now you know you could be conned into some of those they say they're organic and you, you wonder why but i would just you know recommend doing a bit of research uh one of the main things you want you don't want in it is parabens parabens seem to be you know a big toxic uh, substance to the body so if you see things that say no parabens you know on the on the bottle that generally is is a is a better thing to to look at you there's many websites out there if you typed in you know natural cosmetics and all that type of stuff did a little bit of research it's actually an area i want to do a little more research myself you know just get the just get the head and shoulders bottle put it down and start typing in the ingredients on it see what comes up it'd be interesting enough to see 
Uh, and, then, and there's also an argument too. I heard this from Tom O'Brien. People say, okay, yeah, but the gluten molecules can't get in, can't get through your skin barrier when you're like washing your hair, but you're breathing in the shower, so you can breathe them in. Um, so again, just if you're, and again, this is for people who are severely gluten sensitive. But even people who don't have a gluten, a non gluten sensitivity at the moment, I still recommend them not to stay away. From, or I, I recommend, I recommend them to stay away from gluten as much as possible because it could be that overexposure that eventually leads them to being gluten sensitive and then to a serious health disease down the line. And the vast majority of people have some sort of gluten sensitivity. There's so much silent gluten sensitivity going on at the moment. You know, it's 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 not even, it's not even funny to be honest. Um, so they're the environmental toxins right? mental, emotional and spiritual well-being so we went through nutrition, circadian environmental toxins and now we're on mental, emotional spiritual well-being because again the five uh, the five big areas I think that influence you know our overall health and well-being because again what, what dictates our, our genetic expression is the environment and in regards to the biggest environmental influences on our, our genetic expression so the biggest environmental influence on us as human beings are nutrition circadian rhythms environmental toxins mental emotional spiritual well-being and exercise now in regards to mental emotional spiritual well-being i would go back to again developmental conditioning um actually i'll get to that in a second with regards to to, to mental emotional spiritual well-being or if you want to just call it mental health i firmly 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 believe that that a lot of mental health issues have biochemical factors at their root cause so what do i mean by that what i mean by that is things like blood sugar regulation uh nu- serious nutritional deficiency nefic- deficiencies neurotransmitter imbalances leaky gut you know things of that nature i truly believe that they are at the root cause of a lot of mental health issues so people who've got severe digestive issues severe nutritional deficiencies um just really bad digestion elimination assimilation um, so they just, they just have severe severe biochemical hormonal dysregulation um, cell metabolism dysfunction and that and that is the root cause of their mental health or depression or whatnot now do I believe that every single mental health issue has a biochemical factor at its root cause no but do I believe that that biochemical factors contribute to all mental health diseases yes I do so I do believe that a vast majority of mental health issues would would completely uh, go into remission if you sorted out someone's nutrition, sleep, environmental toxins within their life. And that environmental toxins also includes people. People can be very toxic as well. So I do believe that mental health is very much at the mercy of 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 uh, your nutrition, your sleep, and the environmental toxins. Anything that can really influence the biochemical factors in your uh, in your life and your health and well being. Now, as I said there a moment ago, do I believe that things like nutrition, circadian cycles, and environmental toxins, and again, anything that can influence the biochemistry of your body, are the root cause of every single mental health issue? Absolutely not. There definitely is, you know, other issues as well. Now, I do believe, as I said, they contribute to every mental health issue, and are the root cause for some. But the other aspect that we need to look at would be developmental condition, okay? Developmental condition, very well outlined in the books of Bruce Lipton, Joseph Shilton Pierce, even in Mismatch by Peter uh, Gluckman uh, and Derek Hansen. Um, and again, this goes back to Osho. So developmental condition is, you know, I'm my parents are Christian, devout Christians, and they're like, God created the world. Uh, you know, you have to do God's work through you. You have to, you know, give yourself to Jesus. You're a sinner. And then they, you know, they, they just make me believe this. You know, like, that is developmental condition. They're conditioning me to be a Christian and see the world as a Christian. Which, as Osho would say, is not being a compassionate person. That's actually very cruel to that to a child. Don't poison the child with religion. Let the child make its own decision. As Osho would say, if you're going to teach the child Christianity, why not teach the child all the religions? And then let the child choose which religion makes the most sense to him. And then if the child doesn't think any of the religions make sense, let him make up his own religion. So that's developmental conditioning. And that's one example of developmental conditioning. Other examples, it's basically, developmental conditioning is is you downloading the immediate environment in your first few years of life, generally your first six to eight to 10 years of life. And that <clears throat> that downloading of your environment becomes your subconscious mind. And, in, and that subconscious mind will dictate your health and wellness and your overall happiness for good or for better, depending on what really influenced your develop, developmental uh, stages of your life in those first you know, six to eight to 10 years. So developmental condition is absolutely massive. 
And again, you know, this goes back to not only when you're born, but even when when you're an embryo inside your mother. Uh, you know, so I always say this in any talk I ever give. If there's a pregnant woman and she is stressed, she's in a stressful environment, uh, whether whether it's because she's malnourished, she she she's not getting adequate nutrition, or it's mental emotional stress from her partner or whatever else, that stress is sensed by the baby, by the embryo. So the baby in, in the mother's womb, the embryo in the mother's womb is like, shit, the world outside is a hostile fucking place. I better get ready to fight. So all of that, that embryo's energy, all of the nutritional blood flow that goes to that embryo is going to its reptilian brain. It's fight, flight, sympathetic uh, nervous system brain. And all of the blood flow nutrients are going are going to that part of the brain and it's also going out to its extremities, uh, to, you know, to the arms, to the legs, mainly. Because this child is getting ready to be a warrior. It's getting ready to fight or flee, um, or freeze. Some people say fight, flee, or freeze. Fight, flee, or, or freeze. <clears throat> but generally, it's fight or flight. Conversely, though, if the mother's in a very loving environment. She has, you know, her nutrition's dialed in. She's got a great relationship going on. Her environment is a very loving, peaceful, safe environment. Then the child, the embryo inside the mother, goes, "Can't wait to get out into the world." Oh, it's 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 awesome. You know, the feeling, the vibes, the the hormones. Everything I'm getting from mothers tell me that the world is an awesome place, and more blood flow and nutrition will go to that embryo's neocortex, and the neocortex is what separates us from all the other animals and mammals. That's the part of our brain that helps us to create things, invent things, think logically. So this, this, you know, to to love, to to you know, just to transcend in general. So this baby will grow up to be a problem solver. Uh, he'll he'll go up and invent things. He'll want to rationalize and, and discuss things through people. He won't want to kill people or blow blow people up, or he won't be very suspicious of people, or he won't want to hear other sides of arguments. You know, he he uh, he just he, he's he's been born to be a problem solver, an inventor, a lover, and not a warrior like the other baby. So there's more blood flow nutrition going to his neocortex because his mother's in a much more loving. Uh, peaceful and safe environment and that again proves how the environment can dictate a genetic expression so one key thing in this whole podcast is remember the environment can dictate the environment dictates the genetic expression the environment dictates the genetic expression that is called epigenetics that's called epigenetics um, <clears throat> and again Bruce Lipton he says the vast majority of you know chronic degenerative diseases and whatnot or diseases that exist in the world are generally uh, because of epigenetics and not because of genetic determinism um, so again so 90% of the time it's environmental factors that influence the the, the, the health and wellness of people and only you know 5 to maybe 10% of the time it's actually it, it actually is a genetic defect so the key thing is that <clears throat> we'll talk about exercise in a second but the key thing then is that guys we are all 100% in control of our health wellness and happiness we're not the victim of anyone or to anything you know we're not at the mercy of any god or any of that shit you know if you want to believe that and, and listen if that's what you want to believe that's absolutely fine uh, anyone who knows me knows I, I'm not a religious man I'm not Catholic I'm not Protestant I'm not Muslim I am a human being who lives on planet earth uh, I, you know, if you want to say I'm spiritual, yes, I am spiritual. Do I believe there is a God? Well, it depends what you mean by God. What does God mean to you? First, whenever there's all, all these arguments, I don't believe in God. I do believe in God. What the fuck do you mean by the word God? Define what you mean by God. To me, God is just universal energy. It's God is unconditional, unjudgmental, or not judgmental. Is unjudgmental a word? But God is unconditional uh, potential. He's unconditional energy. He or whatever it, she. God is unpotential universal energy. Uh, and the fact that God is unconditional means means that God can have no uh, no wants, no needs, no demands of you. So any of these religions that say, you know, you must do this for God. God, you know, the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, this and that, or any of these, these commandments or ways or, or certain things you can and cannot do, they are conditions. The word God is meant to mean love. And love is unconditional. So if something is unconditional, it's unconditional. That's it. It cannot judge you. It cannot put any conditions on you. Um, it's just, it's unconditional. And, you know, a lot of that for me will come from the likes of Paul Cech and, and uh, Joseph Shilton Pierce. I'm very much at the thought process of Joseph Shilton Pierce where, you know, he believes that it's a purely dualistic, it's a purely dualistic role between God and me. You know, there's a great, there was a great poet. I don't know if it was William Blake that said it. But basically he said, 
I cannot be without God and God cannot be without me. Now, I'm paraphrasing that. Don't actually quote that. It could be the other way around and it might be William Blake that even said it. But it's in one of Joseph Shilton Pierce's books. So, basically what they're saying there is that there is universal energy out there. And <clears throat> that universal energy, if it connects with you at the right moment, at the right time, can filter through you something extremely creative in a specific area that you have just you're you're just drawn to. So I always give the example of <clears throat> Jack White, who's who's you know who's one of my favorite musicians. And Jack White was asked one time, you know, what do you do when you write your songs and what's your process? And he turned and he said to the interviewer, I, "They're not my songs." And the interviewer got very confused. And then I think he might have thought that Jack didn't write the songs. And Jack goes, "Oh no, I do write the songs, but they're not my songs." Jack just said, all the songs I've, e I've ever written and will ever write are already out there in the universe. They're already out there in creation. All I do is, I'm the muse that brings those songs into creation. So it's that dualistic relationship between, Je between Jack White and the universe. Or if you want to call it God. Do God's work through you, if you want to call it that. So it's this dualistic approach between me and the universe. Me and God. God and me. The universe and me. This creator-creative dynamic, as Joseph Shilton Pierce calls it. Joseph Shilton Pierce often gives the, the, the idea of, you know, lightning. Lightning's going around and it's looking for somewhere on the surface of the earth. You know, so the lightning, I don't know if the lightning is the positive or the negative charge. Let's just say it's the, it's the positive charge. And it's looking for that negative charge on earth. It finds it, boom! And that's it. That's the, that's the dualistic, the yin-yang approach, okay? You can't have one out there. You need both together to create something. And to me... To me personally, that's what God is. God is that that unconditional, non-judgmental, uh, universal potential, universal energy, universal love, whatever way you want to phrase it or say it. I don't believe he's a man in the sky with any judgments or commands. I don't believe he's an angry God or he, he you know, you're a sinner and you need to be baptized or any of that stuff. It's funny too, another very good uh, hero of mine is, is uh, Alan Watts. You know, and Watts would say that, <laughs> you know, a lot of religions tell people, you know, not to listen to that inner voice, not to, you know, not to really trust oneself, you know, because it could be, it could be, you know, who, who knows, it could be the devil, uh, you know, so you, you need to give yourself over to God and, and do his will and, and do God's work through you and all this. So basically, you know, you, you need to, you know, you're, you're not in control of your life, you know, you're, you're at the victim of God, like, you know, don't listen to that inner voice just in case. And it's funny because any person that's ever done that, so let's say Jesus, for instance. Jesus was a renegade. Jesus was was a crazy son of a bitch. Uh, you know, he 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 listened to himself. Jesus's message was to tell us, listen, we're all divine. All of us are divine. We are all in this together. Like Jesus is not the divine. We are all divine. If you were to bow with Jesus, he'd be like, what the hell are you doing? What? <laughs> Don't do that. You're no better than me, and I'm no better than you. You know, we we are all. Uh, the universe's children. We are all God's children, if you want to call it. Um, and Jesus was, you know, so Jesus was was one of these very enlightened minds. And then what we ended up doing was creating a religion that put Jesus up on a pedestal, and then we all praise Jesus. Uh, and that's exactly the the message he did not want to give out. You know, it, he did not want to be seen as something hierarchical or higher than us. He was trying to tell us, listen, as I just said there, we're all divine, we're all, we're all divine creations of this universal energy, we're all divine creations of God, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're all just, we all have creation and love within us, and we're all in this together, and no one's better than anyone else, you know, love everyone the same, treat everyone the same, don't forget, everyone is the way they are for specific reasons, <sighs> so, uh, yeah, so for me, basically, the word God, if that's what it means, is just, you know, uh, is, is, is um, unadulterated, uh, unconditional, universal energy. Um, I believe that, you know, Jesus' real message was that, listen, no, we're all divine. And as I said there about Alan Watts, Alan Watts was trying to say, you know, you get these people telling you to, to actually listen to your inner voice. And religion says, don't listen to it. But the people that actually tell you to listen to it, generally we start making religions out of these people. So it's this kind of paradox. That's the point I was trying to get across here. If I didn't make that very, very clear. And if I still didn't make it clear, I'm sorry. Uh, it makes sense in my head. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very funny, you know. And, and another thing Adam Watts would say is that, you know, religion tells you you can't hate anyone. That you need, to, you, need to, you need to make sure you love everyone. But you also can't lie. And so Alan Watts would say, right, if your deep, deep good feeling is not to like someone and you and you tell someone that you do like him because the Bible or whatever book tells you says you need to like him, well then that's a paradox again. 
you're telling a lie. You don't like the person. You're saying that you do like him. There's another paradox again. You know, another another very very you know kind of person that I I've, I've you know really really just look up to. Even though he's long before my time is Ralph Waldo Emerson, who wrote an unbelievable essay called Self Reliance. And the whole thing about self reliance was trust yourself. Be man enough. Be woman enough. Just be human enough to trust yourself. Trust your inner voice. Don't conform. Don't follow the crowd. If it if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't basically jive with what your inner voice is telling you, you know don't just conform for the sake of conforming. Uh, if it's truly not what's in your own heart, so I just love that you know because personally myself ever since I've been young I've always been that sort of I've always questioned why like what why is everything the way it is and people saying oh that's just the way it is used to drive me fucking bananas it's just, that's just not an answer that's a lazy lazy answer um all i ever want people to do is think for themselves that's all i ever want to do anything i said up until now on this podcast please do not believe one fucking word i said please do not believe anything i ever say always question now, when I say that, don't be a prick when you question. Don't be like, yeah, you're full of shit. Yeah. Well, all I ever want is is uh, <clears throat> is people to think for themselves. Don't be a sheep. Um, <clears throat> and just, yeah, be your own person. Be your own nutritionist. Be your own uh, priest. Be your own guru. Be your own doctor. You know, be your own meditation teacher. Be your own strength coach. Look after yourself. Have that courage. Have that strength within yourself to, you know, get the most out of life. Try and optimize your health and wellness as much as you can to help you get the 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 best experience out of the gift of life that you've been given. We've all been given the gift of life, and all all we want, all every human wants, is just pure happiness on earth. That's all we want, and to get that, to get as close to that as possible, we need to really dial in our health, our wellness both physically, mentally, emotionally, and we need to be looking into all these types of areas. That's all we're trying to do. If we can optimize those areas, then we're going to experience this creation of life so much better. We're, we're, it's just going to be such a much richer and fulfilling and, and just, you know, you know, just the kind of sensory, proprioceptive environment, just everything about it is just going to be so much better. I just made up a lot of shit there when I said sensory, proprioceptive environment. But basically what I'm trying to say is for us... Our bodies are just vessels that we experience life through. That's all it is. And the healthier our body is physically, the healthier our mind is mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the better then our experience is going to be of this divine creation that is life, this gift of divine creation life that we've been given. That's why, you know, Paul Check would often say that heaven and hell is in your head. If you're in a body that's sick and depressed, that's hell. If you're in a body that's healthy, robust and so happy, mentally, emotionally and physically, that you've got heaven on earth right there. Okay, last thing that is exercise. I rambled on there a little bit. If you're still listening to me, fair play to you. you are, you're in for the long haul. Uh, 57 minutes. It's a quarter to five here on January 7th, 2014. I wonder like, when people find this audio like in 100 years' time and listen to this and go, what the fuck was that man talking about? Jesus! Uh, <clears throat> okay, exercise. Big thing. Um... <clears throat> I think what becomes for exercise is movement, you know, there's this big thing with Ido Portel, Ido, Ido, however you pronounce his name, sorry if you're listening to this, I doubt you will be, and someone may correct me, is it Ido Portel, Ido Portel, but I really like what he's putting out there with regards to movement, it's, it's excellent type stuff, but movement is a big thing, and we know, you know, I'm a big Great Cook fan, and the movement, functional movement systems, DNS, and all that type of stuff, and, you know, the postural restoration is coming out, but movement is huge, we need to move every day, movement is so crucial, go back to Paul checking his four doctors, Dr. Movement, Dr. Happiness, Dr. Quiet, and doctor diet so movement is a big thing we are designed to move and the more i read about brain and neuroscience so like original strength now i know that's not a neuroscience book but original strength by, by tim anderson and uh jeff i can't I, i'm not 100 sure how to pronounce the second name so i'm not going to butcher it but you know tim anderson in the book he did with that guy is it jeff new york is that is that how you pronounce it Some, someone may be able to tell me on that but i read the t's karazian's book too on the brain there a while ago and just <clears throat> You know, and then learning things from maybe from uh, Franz Bosch, um, and just you know, kind of um, motor and skill acquisition. Just the more movements we can we can expose our body to, the better, particularly for our brain health. 
um, and we're just designed to move we need to fucking move just move you know I don't know about you but personally when I don't move I feel just I'm like I just get like you know that ants in your pants like, I gotta go and do something and generally I train most days and any days I don't train I usually like to go for like long walks and do some stretch or mobility work but anyway with exercise it's this exercise can be unbelievably dangerous for some people if you are very sick and very unhealthy and when I say sick I'm talking about people who think they're healthy but they have sub- subclinical issues um, <clears throat> exercise can be very dangerous it's going to be just too much stress in your body your body has a finite stress reserve and everything takes a bit of res- t- takes a bit of stress out of that reserve whether it's a nutritional stress a sleep or circadian rhythm stress a t- of an environmental toxin stress a mental emotional stress or if it's an exercise stress so we, we only have one stress reserve we've only got one bucket of stress reserve and no matter every single every single thing in your in your in your life that can be uh, seen as a stressor by your body takes a bit out of that stress reserve so if you have very very little stress reserve left because you know you're eating shit food again your sleep is all over the place you're around toxic people you're around toxic things you're not going to have a lot of stress reserve left to adapt to exercise so you may need to sort out the rest of your life so far which is the most which I would say is the vast majority of clients a lot of personal training clients are getting these days you know these people who are very overweight they're just depressed or down themselves what they generally need to do is sort out their nutrition sort out their sleep first of all um, and even doing that this is why I believe a lot of mental health issues have things like nutrition and sleep and, and you know other toxins at their root cause because generally when you clean up someone's nutrition and sleep they just feel so much better uh, I wonder why because maybe your your bipolar was uh, a blood sugar regulation you had hypoglycemia and hypoglycemia you were just you had high blood sugar and, and low blood sugar and you just kept crashing all the time like a lot of mental health issues like that like bipolar a lot of bipolar health issues is just blood sugar regulation your blood sugar is fucking all over the place it's up and down and it's all and sideways and every other way and a lot of time when you clear up people's nutrition and their and their sleep their energy just improves exponentially and then they feel better they're like jesus life is actually pretty cool <laughs> um so that's why i believe that a lot of biochemical issues are at the root cause of mental health issues but not all as i said so just don't don't uh, before you start arguing with me i i, I don't believe they're the, the root cause of everything i do believe they contribute though but exercise it can be very dangerous for some people now for other people on the other spectrum it's extremely beneficial now that's not to say even people who are very unhealthy i still think they should exercise it just needs to be regressed to where they are at to where they can get some benefit and adapt to it <clears throat> so with those people you're not going to put them through gut wrench and crossfit workouts or anything like that and crossfit's another topic that dave dave hair won't want like i said crossfit i'm sorry dave sorry dave um but again other people then on the other end you know people who are a little more healthy and robust you know exercise they can obviously exercise with a lot more intensity and a lot more in volume and just for people listening when we talk about actually intensity when it comes to strength training that's actually weight on the bar not actually not actually like the huffing and puffing and sweat that's actually intensiveness intensity when we talk about strength training is weight on the bar I'll, I'll discuss that in another podcast but exercise is extremely important but it needs to be just tailored to the specific individual you know i can't give recommendations here because it's just too broad but for people who are very sick and unhealthy I would even tell them, listen, exercise is a bit, it's actually too dangerous for you right now. You'd be better served off sorting out your nutrition, sorting out your food for two weeks and going on brisk walks. And or <clears throat> if they're going to be in the gym, you know, it'd be very just light, low volume stuff. And obviously, like, with regards to strength training, you know, I mean, strength and conditioning is my first love. So, like, I mean, anyone listening to this is strength coach or, or knows me, like, we, we guys, we know this sort of stuff anyway. This is bread and butter to us. You know, the big basic compound lifts. Uh, you know your basic your basic movement patterns you know you have a you know a squat pattern a hinge pattern a vertical push pull a horizontal push pull your core you have anti-flexion anti-extension <coughs> you have your rotary core listen if you want to do some sit-ups every now and again you know i'm not a big we'll have an argument right here the flexion people versus the non-flexion people da, da, da. Uh, <coughs> i know i personally don't like doing sit-ups i personally don't like core work myself anyway i fucking hate doing core work just per- like direct core that's just me personally but i do believe that you know obviously people starting off do need to do some pretty uh, directed core work, you know, again, anti-flexion, anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion, rotary, rotary and rotational core, whatever you want to call that, you know, and then <clears throat> how to design good workouts, like, these are things I'll get in another podcast, but just with regards to exercise, anyone listening to this, like, if you're going to a gym, you should absolutely be screened, if someone doesn't put you through some sort of functional movement screen, and I've talked about this before in other podcasts and videos on YouTube, 
You don't have to use the functional movement screen as your system to, to rate and rank movement quality, but you should be using something. Something that is, you know, body weight, minimally cued, and modifiable. And yes, I got that from Charlie Weingroff, so props to Charlie on that. And it should also respect the four areas of neurodevelopmental kinesiology, pain and motor control, um, regional interdependence, and what is the fourth one? It's escaping me right now. Regional interdependence, pain and motor control, neurodevelopmental kinesiology, and oh, that fourth one is escaping me. What was the fourth one? I'm going to pause this and find out. And a high threshold strategy. That's it. It just I just remembered there as I just pressed pause. So those four areas: neurodevelopmental kinesiology, pain and motor control, regional interdependence, and a high threshold strategy. So I need to respect those areas too. So once they bring you through that screen, you know, depending on how good they are, they should really go through some sort of uh, you know nutritional assessment and <clears throat> things like that and lifestyle assessment. But they definitely should bring you through some sort of movement screen. And then with regards to program design. You know, you should be doing some sort of self minor fascia release on foam roller and balls and some sort of corrective strategies based off that movement screen. And uh, that should be, you know, first in your warm up. So you might do some sort of FMS correction, if you like, or some sort of corrective exercise if it's needed. Um, and some just general mobility work, all that type of stuff. It'll be slightly different for most people, but generally the team is the same. So some sort of, you know, self minor fascial FMS corrective or some type of corrective strategy that's going to help open up, you know, the problem areas of your body. You know, some sort of mobility motor control fix then we're going to some sort of dynamic warm-up then you should go into some power circuit you know med ball throws uh, maybe some hops it depends on the client you know if it's if it's a if it's a real fat loss client you know it's debatable whether you want to do a bit of power work with them older clients yeah i would do some power work with med ball throws and all that. i think that's good. and even some maybe light hurdle hops you know because we're not power development from the first thing that leaves older people and that helps in regards to like landing on but we're talking about fat loss you know, it's uh, you know, the, the, I'm giving you the program design. I'm not giving you the actual specifics like the sets, rest, repetitions, you know, ranges, all that. But this is how a general program should look. It should should have some sort of, you know, you know, corrective strategy at the start, a dynamic warm up, and then some sort of. There might be some power block there depending on the goal. <coughs> so med ball throws probably match the this depending if it's an athlete, um, or whatever. So that may be there or may not be there, but then there should be a strength strength block or strength emphasis there, definitely some sort of strength training, and then definitely some sort of conditioning, or I don't really like the word conditioning, but some sort of energy system development, which I don't really like saying energy system development either, because everything is energy systems, um, from the moment you walk in to the moment you walk out, even life is an energy system, like right now, I'm mainly feeling myself aerobically. But that is basically how a structure should look, but anyway, with exercise, you need to tailor it to the person, that's the thing, so if we're, if we're exercising too much or too little, that's also another environmental influence that can dictate our genetic expression and our overall health and wellness. So that was an hour and almost eight minutes of me talking absolute rot probably to most of you. I'm very sorry. I don't even know if I put this up. I probably won't. I probably just do like I do with most projects and not put it out. No, feck it. I will. I'll put it up. Um, if you like that, I'm not going to edit this or put the intro or anything like that. That takes too fecking long. And I, if I do that, I won't put it up. But if there's any more, anything you like there about that or any ramblings you thought made sense there and you want to talk more about it or have any questions or whatnot, let me know. And uh, that's it for today. It's getting dark here now and it's the, the artificial light of the computer is, is going to be detrimental to my melatonin, so I'm going to turn it off pretty soon. Um, thanks for listening to everyone and take care. Be well. Stay strong, as I always say. Stay strong. If I can say that right, stay strong. And um, no, seriously, thanks for listening, guys. I'll talk to you soon, and um, I'll hopefully do another podcast soon. So, as I said, stay strong. Peace.